Aaron Young is a life coach from Australia. He has fought against animal cruelty and corruption in Africa. He is now on a mission to help dads become better dads and show people how to find what they're best at. This episode, we speak about the impacts of gentrification around the world, why the sense of community and culture is dying around the world, how to connect with your children, and how to improve yourself through healing your traumas. I was, I was 30 minutes from Kruger Park, and right. so it's in the middle of this. I mean, it's some of the most idyllic. In fact, I, I say to people, it's probably one of the most beautiful places in the world I've been to, but man, it's cowboy country. I mean, you were carrying a pistol with you at all times. You had loaded weapons at every door because the crime was just, you, it was the most beautiful place I've ever been. Yeah. But I mean, I've, I've been to African prison and I would tell you that South Africa is scarier than that almost. <laughs> it's seriously, it's just it's just one of these real iron, ironic places, man. It's that I don't know. It's a beautiful place, but people there are just acting ugly type thing. Yeah, look, you, you've just got years of... Um, Negative shit, I guess, you know, because you've got the apartheid era. So what happened was when that ended was, you know, Nelson Mandela may have created a country, but he never really dealt with the past properly, mm. I guess, because how do you? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not blaming him, but all of this angst and anger was never really dealt with and it was a lot of crap went on. Yeah. I mean, for years the world watched them be racist. Yeah. Watched them, traded yeah. with them. No, you know, and the thing is, and and then the stupid South African white people, they they stood their ground and said, "Well, look, this is our country too." Okay, fair. They were good farmers and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the rest of the world vilified them, and then and then eventually, what happened is the young black community grew up being told that they were being vilified, so that the violence you see now has nothing to do with the apartheid era. They're gone. Yeah. But the angst, anger, and the angst and the hate is still raw. I always think to myself that certain, this sounds crazy when I say it to people, but when you explain it, when I explain it, it makes a lot of sense. I feel like certain vibes can just exist in an area or in the air. These people are being raised any different. They've got loving parents and all this kind of stuff. It's more, I feel like it's just, it's almost like not geographical energy, but it's almost like certain areas. You're you're spot on. Like you, you are. You just got to look at historically, even the last 30, 40 years of violence across the world, no matter what country you look at, and you will see the same thing. Mm. And you're exactly right. It's it, And it is energetic. And the problem is we can't scientifically explain energy. So it's hard for us. People listen to it and go, what are you, Dick, you're talking about this hippie bullshit? The reality is from a scientific level, we're made of subatomic particles. We, we are energy. We are light. Yeah. You and I and everyone else, whether you want to believe it or not, go do your science research. We are light. We are energy made of it. So, of course, things like whether it be the moon affects us, whether it be the people around us affect us. And if you're surrounded by that negativity and frantic chaos, that's going to breed frantic thoughts. Frantic thoughts create a a frantic lifestyle. And, you know, it's why it's self-perpetuating. And it's why these areas don't ever fix themselves. It's why, you know, like your council projects, which I grew up in one called Macquarie Fields in Sydney, never got better. Until basically what happened was the property prices grew so high that eventually the housing people had to move further west and wealth came in and as you just put it the abundance came when abundance came all of a sudden it's now a model suburb yeah and it's like how does that happen and it is literally because of what you've just said yeah yeah gentrification it like people live in an area and they go oh actually this is quite close to the city you know what let's bring the city barrier out a little bit and then what happens Mm. is they build coffee shops people start riding bikes all of a sudden people are jogging through the area everyone's got an expensive dog and what you end up with is like little dribs and drabs of the people that used to live there not yeah. being able to afford to live there so they get shipped out further and further. I'm like, well, where does this end? How how far can you push the, the quote-unquote bad people out? Yeah, well, the, the reality is it won't last much longer. With, no. with, with the way we are at the moment, and I don't see it can happen anymore. You know, that, that level of abundance is becoming smaller and smaller. Yeah. You know, at one point the middle classes were growing and that was a sort of a hope for us because as the middle classes grew, there was less of that political bullshit. They were sort of in the middle. Mm. They're the grey, which isn't always good, yeah. but grey is better than complete black or complete white. You know, that complete opposite fighting. Yeah. Liberal, liberal Labor or Republican Democrat or, you know, you guys have got Tory and whoever, instead of that, they're great. But then what's happened is this is now changing. Yeah. And we're now getting back into this real, I don't know, the elite yeah. sort of stuff um, where, you know, 5% own 80% of the world sort of shit. It's that race to the top as well. A lot of people are like, oh, f- fuck all these people that I used to live with or that I grew up with. Let me try rise to the top and do this and do that. It's like, okay, yeah, you rise to the top and then maybe, yeah, your kids do better and whatever. And you do that as one person. Cool. How about you just stay where you are and improve where you're at? And that can do hundreds of people good. 
you know what I mean? It's like my, my that's favorite- a man. It is a brilliant point. That's and that's what I'm trying to do. Make people understand now is this idea of community has been completely destroyed and abolished, mm. and we are responsible for that. No politician destroyed the community. We do by exactly what you're talking about, and. If we don't fix it, no one else is going to. This is not going to come from any political or religious or any spiritual. This is us, just as whether you're religious, non-religious, spiritual, political, doesn't matter what you are, your community is your community. Yeah. And we've completely destroyed it by choice. Yeah. So to kind of hop back, because we, we got into a real deep topic real quick, but I love that stuff. Let's hop back. You're in South Africa. You're on the macadamia farm. Are you farming nuts or are you not farming nuts? Um, yeah, I am. So, so the girl that I'd met in Dubai, the bubble burst and we had shared to leave and I, I flew her back and forth for a while and it was ridiculous. And so I flew to South Africa. I fell in love with the place and I moved there. So they were farming macadamias. They'd been there for about four and a half, five years. Mm. They'd been evicted from their farm in Zimbabwe by Robert Mugabe. Yeah. So they were where they were where I ended up. They were originally Zimbabweans and they'd fled to South Africa because of what happened with him in the early 2000s. Right. Um, so, yeah, we were farming nuts. I mean, I wasn't really farming nuts. I mean, you plant a tree with a nut and yeah. then you spray it with stuff and then you pull the nuts off. Yeah. It, they call it farming, but if all the farming I ever saw in my entire life, it's the least intensive farming. I was riding around an ATV with a gun shooting at monkeys so that they wouldn't eat the nuts. That was about the extent of my is, farming Is that what experience. got you into prison is shooting monkeys because they were <laughs> trying to steal your nuts? No, we were only using air rifles. We we're not trying to kill them there. But no, that wasn't got, what got me into prison. Can, can I ask no. what got you into prison or are you on the run? Like? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. no, no. I'm, I'm on the run. But yeah, you can ask what happened. So, <laughs> so basically, long story short is I ended up in conservation in Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe is the country north of South Africa. Yeah. I became an elephant and a little bit of a lion expert just by accident and I made a noise. You know, I'm a bit of a crusader. I believe in what's right and what's wrong, especially when it comes to nation building. Mm. And in Africa, there's a lot of this acceptable theft, acceptable corruption, and I just disagreed with it. Yeah. And I did, I did a lot of good, but I made a lot of noise. But mm. I learned to find a balance there. Yeah. So a lot of attention was put on me. And um, eventually I had now two children. My son was on the way and I decided to leave conservation and I went farming. Yeah. So anyone knows the history of Zimbabwe? Yes, I'm a white guy and I went. I chose to go farming as a foreigner in Zimbabwe. Um, Robert Mugabe was still alive, but it was the tail end of his presidency before he died. Yeah. Um, I carried my same principles of conservation into farming, which was no theft, no corruption, no paying off politicians. I stopped it all. Yeah. All right. Now, what happened was I did incredibly well and I produced what I believe was a model farm. It was $2 million in US debt. Mm. In my first uh, two months, I made over 400000 US in profit. Yeah. And I stopped all the corruption and all the theft. Yeah. But the problem with cutting all that off is the politicians who were being paid. That's what feeds them, man. Because I was literally did, yeah. talking to my, my taxi driver yesterday about the same thing in Ethiopia, mm. Somalia, how yeah. these people that have been, you know, let's be honest, no offense to you, the people that were put in power by the colonizers that were there. So they, yeah. you know, the col- colonization has ended. Oh, we're independent, cool. Yeah. The people that have now been put at the head of the state or, you know, in power, they're mm. being paid off. And the way that trickles down is you guys stay poor. I stay rich. You know what I mean? If you're farming and you're making coffee or whatever you're growing, yeah, I'll pay you, you know, $1 of our currency, but I'm going to sell it for $100 a kilo to somebody else. Oh, yeah. And I've that's, 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 that's the continent. And, that, yeah. and that's the continent. If yeah. you look at the continent, whether you, if you pull all of the boundaries that we've put in, that the, col- the colonials put in, so there, because there are no, it's all tribal continents. Yeah. The countries are just colonial names. If you pull it all the way, it is a continent being raped and pillaged by every single person who can get their hands in there. Most definitely. Now, the Chinese have colonized it now. Africa is now chi- Chinese. Um, but the reality is, don't think that everyone else isn't there sniffing about. Because oh, I can tell you that with, there's a diamond lease or there's a gold lease, there are still the Brits around, there are still the American. The Brits will, will get scared and run mm. if there's any environmental issues or someone points a finger or someone like me goes and makes noise mm. or draws attention. But the truth is everyone's sniffing yeah. because it's, it's rich. It's rich. The continent is so rich. Well, yeah. If it's not oil, then it's natural resources. Gas, it's gas soil. in Madagascar or, man, you you name it with a cacao, you name it. Yeah. Somewhere across that continent, man, there, there's there's raping and pillaging going on. Sadly, predominantly now the Chinese yeah. and very quietly because they're incredibly smart with the way they colonize the place. Well, they're making business deals, but they've done the same yes. thing in the Caribbean. They'll build you a motorway yes. and then you have to pay them back yes. for the next hundred years. It's absolutely or, wild. 
Or what they do is they take payment in leases. Yeah. So they'll build you your highways, they'll build your freeways, they build all, all Southern Africa's airports are owned by the Chinese. And yeah. what they take is di- diamond mines, mm. like 40, 60, 80-year leases on diamond mines, gold mines, platinum mines, copper, graphite, you name it, and they will take the lease on it. And they take it for 40. And it's signed with the military, yeah. not with the government head, yeah. but they sign it with the military because they understand that in Africa, the military runs the country. Mm. There's no such thing as a president. The military appoint in just about every single African country is appointed by the military. Yeah, because you because sadly Africa is ruled iron fist. Yeah, that is that is because and that is because of the tribal issues because where the colonials broke the continent up, they yeah. didn't break it up into tribal areas. So in a country you can have four tribes, six tribes, eight yeah, tribes. Exactly, they're still there. Mm. They're not gone. Mm. They still exist. And we've mm. seen what happened in Rwanda. We've seen what's happened in Mozambique. Still going on. I mean, I was in Mozambique. When I flew out of Mozambique, they were taking pot shots at the car I had to make to the airport because yeah. the rebels were attacking the President's Inauguration Day. I mean, this is still going on. Mm. It's just that the, the Western media or the developed media yeah. don't want to know about it. If people are tired. It's yeah. like, oh, you know, and with COVID going on, can you imagine what's going on over there now? Wildness. Oh, I, I hate to even think, man. Bill Gates and all that, I could tell you stories about his lot over in Mozambique, the stuff they were up to. Well, I was going to say, so you, you were doing your, your fair farming thing, you know, making sure the corruption and all that kind of stuff was. Well, yeah, and, and I burnt politicians. And so what ended up happening is about six months after I had to leave the farm because they were sending troops after me, death threats, I started to border on threatening my family they never outright did it but i started yeah. to realize i was treading on dangerous ground i left the farm what goes up must come down the mm. politics changed when book mugabe died mm. and the politicians that i cut off and stepped on on my way up and fixing that farm suddenly had more power me. yeah so 48 hours of having the crap beaten out of me trying to break me and yeah. i refused to leave the country so they they charged me with about six or seven charges put me in the prison system i bribed my way out the first time yeah just before christmas of 2018 and then I went to court. I said, I'm going to fight you guys. I'm going to take you. You want to go? I'll fight you. Court is the wrong Again, place in Africa. Court is just a formality, it, surely. It was you're stupid. And I brought, <laughs> and, and so I spent nine months paying bribes to yeah. everyone. I bribed the magistrate, public prosecutor, immigration official. I was bribing half the country. You know, yeah. Mr. Anti-Corruption was now doing anything I could to stay with my kids yeah. because their mother was refusing to leave and I was going to stay. Yeah. So anyway, my day of sentencing came. And my lawyer set me up, so he hadn't been paying all the bribes. Yeah. So basically, I went from thinking I was going to pay a couple of thousand dollars in fines and going home to, no, Mr. Young, you are going back to prison. Oh, and no. firstly, three-month sentence, and then they wanted to slap me with a 10-month, a 10-year sentence after the three months was done for fraud. Oh, my God. So, yeah. And then so I said, I'll stay. I'll fight you. All right. I'll take you. I've got no problem. I did prison the first time. I'll do it again. Yeah. Um, but people started visiting me and the mother of my kids, she came and visited me. And when she saw what I was dressed in and she saw the state of me, she broke into tears. And yeah. after that visit, she left and basically convinced people that they had to get me out of there. So eventually they convinced me to take a plea deal, which was a chunk of money being paid as a bribe. Yeah. And I was quietly whisked off to the airport, put on a plane and forced to come back to Australia after being gone for 15 years. And... I didn't like it. So six weeks later, I flew back to Mozambique, which is on the <laughs> eastern border. You're just unstoppable, Aaron. What's wrong with you? Yeah, You're like, I'm yeah, going back yeah. to Africa, man. My heart I is did. now there. Yeah. My kids, my kids were there. My yeah. kids didn't know where I was. They had no, They knew I was in Australia. They knew daddy was home one day, and next thing, he disappeared and he was in Australia. Right. So I flew back. I jumped the border. Yeah. I illegally entered Zimbabwe through an old cattle smuggling route. And yeah. I went and spent Christmas, Christmas of 2019 with my kids so I could spend some time with them to say goodbye and I was going to work something out to get them to follow me to Australia. Yeah. Came back in January of 2020 and then, as we know, not long after that, COVID hit. Yeah. And my kids are still there. Yeah, still in Zimbabwe. Wow. That is, mm. that is quite a story. You should write a book or make a film about this because I am, I'm hearing what I'm hearing, but I'm also in disbelief that you're, first of all, still alive you know, after battling corruption in South Africa and, and Africa in general, you know, second of all, that you've been through this and you're still so positive. And third of all, that me and you are here talking right now, that, that is the unbelievable part about all this. So yeah, you, <laughs> you were kind of, you know, first of all, you started out as an animal conservationist, then you were kind of into the farming, all that kind of stuff. But one thing that I picked up on is that were you, you, you were talking about poaching somewhere else and it was like- Anti-poaching. Yeah, yeah, but didn't you start out 
poaching, like doing the, the poaching things first, like the, the kind of tools? No, I, was, I hunted. No, I started doing, I was hunting. Oh, right. So I, 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 I found myself, I went after a job in Mozambique, which was conservation farming, which yeah. is a specific type of farming you teach to sort of lower income areas of Africa. Yeah. The job fell through and someone said to me, well, look, you can come and work in this hunting camp yeah and i'd now been in africa a long time i'd been around a lot of hunters i had what i thought was a lot of respect for what their trade was yeah so i went i went and worked for these guys and what i very quickly found out was that hunting from 50 years ago as a conservation tool and as protectors of the land yeah. which sometimes you need was a lot of horseshit mm. and they were literally doing exactly the same thing the poachers were they were yeah. just doing it um to better serve themselves so they were killing animals no differently it's yeah. just that they were bringing in wealthy people to do it and there was a little bit of a return of that income generated mm. to the local population yeah but in the scheme of protecting a species everyone's attitude in africa is pretty much if we don't shoot it someone's going to kill it yeah so let's kill it and it's just gotten to the point where yeah because exactly because most people have given up you know as mm. as the populations explode and as urban centres grow, mm. the conflict with wildlife is continuing. I mean, that's what I spent my years working on, keeping these animals out of conflict with humans. Mm. And eventually you can't win because in Africa, one thing sadly that is a reality is um, there's so much poverty yeah. that when you say to them that this animal, you know, is worth even $200 US yeah. to a poacher, um, they're going to kill it. Yeah. And in some places they're going to eat it because it's actually done for meat as well. Yeah, you know, well, it's one of those things as well. They they have all these laws in place about oh, if an animal comes too close to where people are living, then we can kill it. But it's also yeah. a fact of I'm sure there's more sustainable ways to to deter animals from coming to a city than just killing them all. And it's like okay, let's say there's a hundred lions. Cool. Yeah, maybe you don't want a hundred lions rolling up into your into your you know local supermarket, but. If you were able to relocate those lions and keep them away, yeah, they're going to keep trying to come back because they're animals, they're instinctive. Relocate them, relocate them, relocate them. Okay, maybe 100 lions is too much. Okay, we take some, we put some somewhere else in a different part of the country far away. If we maintain those 50 lions, then that is a different type of attraction to going, oh, let's get one guy from America who's got, you know, big bollocks, quote unquote, but obviously not very small bollocks. He's going to come over here, pay me a few thousand US that's going to sort me out for the next few months and he's going to kill them and if he wants to we could eat them if not I can eat them and all it is is what they're doing is with paid poaching from what I understand is it's maintaining the human existence more than it's maintaining the global existence which includes animals plants and wildlife yeah and, and the other thing that's gone wrong with conservation and it, I mean it's gone wrong because it's the reality is that people are trying to protect species mm. and you can't protect a species without protecting land. Mm. If you don't have land, yeah, then you're taking animals and you're putting them on game farms or you're putting them in these areas where they don't actually belong. And so mm. what they do is they destroy the native fauna and you end up with desertification, which is grassland turning to desert. Yeah. So there's just an entire imbalance there. And until, until conservation, like NGOs in general, which mm. is your not-for-profit organisations in Africa, actually band together and start working on mega projects, mm. the whole thing is a self-sustaining industry to get a whole bunch of people paid a salary because no one is succeeding. Every project you work on in Africa, whether it be human-based or animal-based, is four years max. Mm. And so you work for four years and then you leave and then everything goes to shit. And then the next guy steps in and does another four years. That's been happening for 40 years in Africa. And no one at this point has got the balls to stand up and say, you are wasted billions of dollars, the bulk of which is held up um, dictators, yeah. military junters. And because why? Because they're all getting paid. And these guys love the thrill of going, I work in Africa for six months a year. Like it is, it's actually one of the most disgusting things I found there because these are well-educated people with master's degrees, PhDs. These are not, a, these are not your guy in Africa who worked his way up from village to headman to a leader yeah, yeah. or military guy. This is guy, a Frenchman. Yeah. This is Americans. This is Germans. These are people with, you know, universities who should know better, but they don't want to fight the system. Well, they're living good. And it's like as much oh, as yeah. as much as you know, African money, quote unquote, because I would say there's so much you know, hyperinflation, whatever, sometimes the money is pointless. It's more about having, like you said, land, property, connections. Where these people are coming from, say you come from London and you go, Oh, do you know what? A house in London, like a decent house, is about three hundred thousand pounds. Three hundred thousand pounds in South Africa, Nigeria, whatever, you're living like a king. Like an absolute oh, yeah. baller. So why would you care to think about uh, beat the local people, whatever? If anything, you might feel a little bit good 
subconsciously in the back of your head of, oh, I'll, I'll employ some people to clean my house and look after my dogs and all that kind of stuff. But it's not, mm. it, well, the, the, the easiest way to say it is it's not fair, is it? No, it's not. And that's one thing Africa taught, Africa taught me very quickly is the world, isn't it? I mean, I, I, look, I traveled the world extensively before Africa, but Africa was a real reminder. Mm. <clears throat> I would watch guys I'd work for, like the hunting camp in particular. I had a tracker that worked for me, mm. who was one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. Now, this guy had worked for the owner of this camp for about 11 years. Yeah. Now, one day, he, this tracker comes to me and he says, my son's dying. Mm. So I contact the owner who's out on a hunt and I say, look, you know, his tracker, his son's dying. Mm. And he said, look, Aaron, don't get involved with this stuff. Yeah. And I said, what? I said, he just needs a vehicle. I'm going to go grab him. I'm going to take him. Now, admittedly, I was going to be gone for about 12 hours to get this kid to hospital. Yeah. But the owner said no. Mm. So I jumped in a car. I jumped, I stole one of the cars and I went and took him and we got him to hospital. Yeah. But that's the sort of, and this is a guy who, with a loyalty, this guy's track had worked for him for 11 years. Mm. That's the sort of mentality. And this doesn't, this isn't a racial thing. This mm. is white, black, Chinese, Indian. This is pretty much everyone over there. Yeah. I, I might say pretty much 85, 90% of Africa has that sort of mentality. And that is very much, and and, and I guess we're in the first world, not much better, selfish. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing, just just wrapped up differently. So, you know, if, for example, here's a prime example of something that I always struggle with, but I try to battle against. If I see, I'm not talking about a homeless person per se, but if I see someone in distress in public, say someone's fallen down or, you know, hurt themselves or looking lost, why do I suddenly go, oh, no, that's not my problem? Hmm. Unless there's, a, 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 you know, an immediate sign of danger, like, you know, someone's got a knife or something like that. Why am I not? willing to help people and it's something that i've battled with over the last few years of being it's not even about being sociable it's actually being like almost like a humanitarian as in just caring about everybody because that guy over there he's a person his life is just as detailed as mine that lady over there same thing we are all part of this same thing no one has to be here <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No one yeah, else. And, we're, <laughs> and we're, fight, we're and we're fighting to be disconnected. It's almost like we think it's all right. We want to not care. Yeah. Like we, we're going out of our way because people will talk about society and I'll talk about politics and I'll talk about COVID even and fear. But that's us. Yeah. It's we're all people blame. all the way Boris down. Johnson, yeah, Boris Johnson doesn't make you not care. Mm. Boris Johnson doesn't make you walk down, doesn't take your smile away from you. Yeah. To care enough about someone or to help someone across the street or like you said whether someone falls down but for me it's as simple as walking down the street and saying hi mm. seems silly people go oh, don't be stupid and i go no it's not because they're the little things that are gone from 50 years ago now there's a lot from 50 years ago we don't want there was a lot of you know stupidity and closed-mindedness mm. but one thing that we've lost that they did have was just a common decency for other people yeah that whole love thy neighbor thing, it's gone. Yeah, and, and you know, yeah, you don't, but you can live next door to someone now for five, 10 years and hardly even know the person. Mm. Now, that's, I, I'm 47. I remember when I was a kid, everybody knew everybody. Mm. You know, if, if your mum had to shoot off somewhere, there were five different houses that you'd go and stay at for a couple of hours. And mm. I just don't see that as much anymore. In Africa, it was still there. I yeah. mean, amongst the Africans, it was one of the most beautiful things you still had is. Because of AIDS and what it had done to the population, I mean, quite commonly, if I one staff member, one of my top supervisors, he was on average responsible for up to 17 other mm. members of his extended family because so many of the men had died. Mm. And that was, in general, just acceptable. So on 150 or 200 US a month, they were not only feeding their own families, but they were literally sending money off to try and put, you know, another seven or eight kids through school and, and that was acceptable. They never, ever shied away from it. Yeah. Never, ever. And that's one thing that a lot of, I'd say, ethnic people, and some when I say ethnic, this isn't just, you know, black, white, Asian. I mean, even people from, quote, unquote, third world countries, like mm. in Europe and stuff like that, they come to where the money's at, they work hard, and they send a lot of it back. And, yeah, and a lot of people build up these kind of repositories of, you know, whether it's land, businesses, whatever, and they employ people back there and they're trying their best to fight this, you know, the systems that be. Like yeah. I, I was speaking to this Romanian guy and he's in his seventies and he's basically like, I've come here, I've worked as a truck driver for the last 30, 40 years. I want to go home and I want to farm bees. And I was like, bees? He's like, yeah, it's easy. It's simple. It make money. Da, 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 da. I was like, okay. I was like, that makes sense. And his goal isn't to go there and be rich and flashy. He's like, I want to go build this and build that for the people, you know, for the community. And I was like, that yeah. is such a bold mission. It's better than my mission of, oh, I want to build my company really big and sell it for lots of money and da, 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 da. And, it, you know, all these, these conversations I have with people, they make me reanalyze 
what it is I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and how that benefits everyone around me as opposed to just me. Yeah, and you've just hit, we, we, I mean, we're talking about what is the defining turning point for humans' evolution. Like this is how, what you've just explained is the biggest thing we are facing. Bigger than COVID, bigger than all this other shit that's going on around us, bigger than war. Mm. Is exactly that choice there, and it is our it is our choice to stop caring about our own communities, because once we dissolve the community, we are at the mercy of everything above us, mm. and that's what we seem to be doing. And so I said, this why you know the, the the modern world or the you know developed world is suffering. Mm. You know, um, we're suffering a much greater and a much I think faster decline than we realise. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's simply because we are we encourage selfishness. We encourage yeah. achievement based lives where you are measured by what you own mm. and what you've done, not yeah. who you are. Yeah, yeah. Are you a good, kind, generous, compassionate, empathetic, strong? Um, you know, disciplined. Yes, dedicated. Look, strong word. That doesn't always have to be weaky sounding words. No, we don't measure people like that. That's not what we do. Mm. And that's a really sad reflection of where we've come with all this beautiful knowledge at our fingertips and all this ability to connect like we do you and I doing right now. Yeah. Like how amazingly we've got this at our fingertips. Yeah. And yet we're and yet we're devolving, mm. not evolving. <laughs> we're using this slide back down this, this scale. Yeah. And for me, one thing I've kind of realized with the internet is it can be used for good, it can be used for evil, like most things, right? You know, there's duality in, in everything. But yeah. where people, are, you know, where internet is now becoming, you know, like a basic human right, like food and water and all that kind of stuff. Everybody oh, has yeah. access to the internet, you know. Okay, access to the internet versus access to high speed internet are two different things. But once mm. they can get online, these people that are living in what me and you would d term as paradise, you know, places with greens and, you know, you could have a farm and grow food and da 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 da. They look online and they see the latest Jordans or they look online and they see Gucci and Louis Vuitton and they go, oh, I want that. Yeah. I need that. That That's what success looks like. And I feel like success is something that only capitalism brings into kind of your mind and into your life. Because without capitalism, I'm not saying socialism is good. I'm not saying anything like that. You know, listeners don't get on to mm -hmm. me. I'm just saying that capitalism kind of goes materialism. That's it that's all you need you don't need to meet your your you know your maslow's hierarchy of needs of food water shelter you know and then work your way up it's like if you haven't got the top thing the bottom stuff doesn't even matter anymore yeah, and that's and you know what again man that's this too you like one of the wisest things i've ever had we've got to a point where this endless chasing of these things has eroded culture as well and one of the i think one of the, the bigger issues i had with africa and even in asia and, and other places that i've lived Mm. is that culture gets completely abandoned mm. once capitalism kicks in. So the stories of old and these generational connections from grandfather to son, and, you know, that are passed down, yeah. the second that you get DSTV or you get cable television, and mm. as soon as you got access to Facebook, the story stopped being told. Mm. It was almost like a light switch went off. I had to sit down with my staff on the farm I was at and even with trackers in the bush and say, you have a right you must continue with this because if you don't, your culture will die Yeah, and you'll be nothing except denim jeans, Mercedes Benz and a pair of dark sunglasses because in Zimbabwe, that was the common joke yeah. of what African expired to in Zimbabwe. And it was like, it saddened me, you know, everything. And in, while I was there in 10 years, that's how quickly it disappeared. Yeah. And it's, only, it's only getting quicker and quicker. And by that, I don't mean as in the culture is disappearing quicker. I mean, as in the, the race to the top is getting quicker and quicker. You can get a job that you think is paying you good money. The next thing you know, oh, actually, no, that's not enough money. I want this. I want that. And it's like, well, to what end does that, you know, mm. does that go on for? Yeah, and there is never enough. And we know that. And the problem is, is when you talk like this, people think you're anti-progress or you're anti-money. Mm. No, 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 I'm not. <clears throat> I'm anti-blindness. Um, chasing of nothing of mm. achievement yeah the, the old question of when is enough you know how, how big does the house need to be how many cars how yeah. many trips and when can you stop look back behind you at who you've stepped on mm. and the path you've taken to see how much devastation you've left because again you haven't taken a community with you like yeah. when you talked about that remaining gentleman well, that touched me because it is something, man, that we seriously sorely need more of in this world. Yeah. And this is what my aim is now. One of my big aims is to start talking to men about this because I believe that this is a men-driven thing. Yeah. Culturally, a lot of these stories that, that are not being passed down in Africa were driven by the male mm. side. We don't have a culture 
within, you know, whether you say Western or Caucasian, but we've got this responsibility now to stand up and create one. And that is a culture of stability, peace and strength amidst chaos because we are entering the most chaotic time probably ever see. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I, so I want to start creating a culture, but one based around who are, who are, who are we, not mm. what have we got, not what can we attain, mm. but <clears throat> who are you? Courageous, right? What is it? What is your gift? What is your strength? What do you bring to this community? And how do we as a tribe, for one of a better description, because I just believe it's a powerful primal word. Because mm. once upon a time, white, black, Asian, whatever, we were all tribal. Mm. Um, what do you bring to this circle of men? You know, and how can how can we protect this community? How can we nurture the people with, that live within it and help them to grow? Yeah, none of this abandonment and disconnection and spending half your life, you know, staring at a phone and at work and, and not looking after and raising your kids. And Yeah, you literally have just led me into my next point, which is you had a tagline that I heard or read or something somewhere in your social kind of presence or your presence on the internet. You want to mm. help dads become better dads. Aaron, yeah. explain that because I feel like a lot of the listeners, whether they're dads yet or not, or whether they're mm. single parents, they need someone like you around or they need to hear what, goes into helping dads become better dads look you know it's a really simple equation and this is the problem with much of what um humans like to talk about these days is there's books being written on this subject and there's people who spend their entire lives telling you and writing and doing youtube documentaries and it's really simple and it's about connection fathers don't connect with their children Right. All right. Fathers are the breadwinners predominantly. Now I'm talking in stereotypes because we have to generalize. We're talking about a community, you know, the world at, at large. Mm. Men don't spend hours or an hour a day staring into the eyes of their newborn child. Mm. They let the mother do it. And when the baby becomes less of a handful, then they'll take over. Yeah. Men don't sit on the floor and play with their children as that young child develops. Yeah. So what happens is the father's presence is more of a dictatorship. Yeah. or more of a strict disciplinarian or the, the giver, which is I give the money and that produces the good things that you like. Mm. But that's not based around connection, all right? Now, if you look at any of the Indigenous cultures that I've been around, the fathers would carry the burden of early childhood and carry the babies um, literally because of that eye contact. Now, when I say this, I usually say to people, practice something like that. Go and look at someone in your family. If you've got a child, go and stare at your child in the eyes. And watch the power that that can bring. Yeah. Fathers are not just breadwinners. Fathers are not, not the guys who just make the rules and go off to work 60 hours a week. Men and fathers are an energetic presence in the home and in the community of stability and peace. If we don't get our shit together and we are chaotic, if we drink too much, work too hard, too much phone, too much porn, too much gambling, too much whatever it may be, we are unstable, we are not peaceful. And that is the energy we produce within our community. So my idea is to bring back men to a little bit more of a stoic world. I'm not saying don't drink. I'm not saying don't enjoy yourself. You've got to. It's part of being a human being. Mm. But what I'm saying is understand as a man how you live your life affects everyone around you and underneath you, your partner, your children, your potential next-door neighbours. Yeah. You need to, as men, start taking responsibility for that energy that you're producing and giving off and stop going, oh, fuck this, I work 50 hours a week. I have a right to go down the pub six times a week. I No. As soon as you enter that realm of becoming a father, you're responsible for that child. You are responsible. There is nothing on the face of this planet that removes that word responsibility from you. Mm. Bad, bad, bad choice of mother, tough fucking luck. All right, I, I wouldn't have picked what I would say is the best because the two of us clashed and we eventually split. Would that mean that I'm not responsible for my kids? Never, ever, ever. Yeah, and becoming a parent yeah. is a, is a self, it has to be a selfless act. It's not a selfish I'm, thing that you go, oh, this is about me. It's, it's, I, I have children. I have, you know, there's, there's something that I've put into the world. It is in my best interest and in their best, best interest that I be the best person to and for them. As, you know, and in the world's best interest and the community's best interest right. this is the whole point is you know we're too busy basically saying childcare has to do it because we're chasing this endless dream of money mm. so now you've got two parents having to work just to pay for a mortgage and this poor child is now raised in daycare so we've broken down all these things so when i say parenting as a father sadly poor mums get dragged in because we've got this endless dream of something to attain to pass to our children but yet we don't actually spend any time with our children raising them. And all a child ever wants is your connection yeah. and your presence. I can tell you that 
there isn't a child that I've ever been around that if you don't spend two, three months connected with them, which means you entering their world, don't ask a child to come to you as an adult. Get on your ass and find some humility and you go into their world. You spend time connecting with them and you watch how that child will suddenly switch. Yeah. No such thing as a bad kid. No. Most def- and you know what it is? It's, bad, it's bad environments, bad experiences that make someone ultimately a quote-unquote bad person. But if you connect with anybody that, you know, it sounds a bit woo-woo and a bit kind of spiritual, but there's good in everybody. And if you can mm. encourage the good in everybody, everybody wants to be a nice person. You know. Yeah, look, man, and, and if we want to... The beautiful part about my story is my mum tried to kill me when I was four. I was abducted at the age of five. What? Aaron, what the I hell? Said, you got to tell us these things before we get on the call, man. You were, yeah, you, I mean, you my were mom was, to kill my mom was, My mum was an addict, yeah. Sadly, my mum was an addict and she was really not well. She was mm. mentally not well. And the words from her mouth is that basically I wouldn't stop crying. So she shook me and shook me until I stopped crying. She threw me on a bed and she ran. And she left and came back three days later, but sadly... She didn't finish the job, so I was still alive and freaking hungry. And that's Christ. my first memory. Oh my god, Aaron, that is <laughs> insane. Because that now that makes your whole, you know, mission to to be a better person and do community based stuff in Africa a lot a lot more grounded. I'm sure for any of the listeners who are you know listening right now, they've gone from this view of oh this white man is too woke, whatever. It's like shit. This guy's been through some stuff and he still wants to. You know what I mean? He's not gone out and started yeah, shooting people in the uh, face no, no look i spent my years i dabbled in the crime i did the drugs i did the dealing i, I did that stuff you know yeah. i did that but underlyingly i was blessed with an early start to life which was incredibly unique and people would go oh holy shit holy shit no man i wouldn't be the man i was today without it yeah and i'm very proud of the man i am today so the truth is I can't take any of it back and i wouldn't change it and i don't blame my mother she did the best she could mm. and i i don't doubt I haven't had enough contact with it to understand that she went through immeasurable trauma as a young child herself and she was only passing on the work she wasn't prepared to do. Yeah. And this is where, as a, as a modern generation, we have to accept that ancestrally we pass down what we don't fix. Mm. So as a parent, you don't fix your shit. If you think you can hide it, you are blessing your kids with it. Yeah. So this is where I'm quite strict with people and I say, get up off your ass and do the work. Mm. There's enough knowledge in the world now. We have untapped ancient wisdom, modern knowledge. We've got so much at our fingertips that if I can take and turn my life into what I've done, anyone can. Yeah. And we need more of this. And it's work. There's no magical hypnosis. There's no magical book and there's no magical YouTube. You do the work. Mm. You go into it. You look at who you are. You find out what you are. What are you about? What puts you where you are? And what are your gifts? Because we've all got them. We've all got superpowers. Yeah. But we're too busy on this endless chase of achievement to actually stop and understand maybe your superpower is empathy. Mm. Maybe it's not about buying your first Ferrari at the age of 35. Maybe you're an incredible healer. Maybe you've got an incredible parenting story. Maybe you're a kick-ass dad. You know, maybe you're a child worker, but just spending your time sitting in a finance desk. I don't know, but we spend too much time on that achievement based. I've got to get, I've got to get, I've got to get. Mm. And I understand I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not angry with anyone, but at some point, when do we stop? When do, we, when do we stop talking? Because there's so much of it going on in the world. Take action. Yeah, to dig into what you said, there's this thing called locus of control, which is, you know, internal locus of control means I'm in control of my life. Everything I do is what makes my life happen. And then there's external locus of control. of Everything that happens outside of me or other people, other things is what makes things happen in my life. I'm just a victim here. And what I'm gathering is through your kind of life coaching, because this is what you do, you're a life coach, you teach people to stop blaming external factors or looking for something outside of themselves and go look within. Mate, you couldn't, I couldn't say it better myself. I don't need to say anything because that's exactly what it is. And, and one step further than what you said, though, it's not just about looking, it's about doing. Mm. Because we've become a society, we've become a world, actually, that is addicted to the idea of listening to podcasts and listening to audio books and watching Anthony Robbins talk and going to a seminar and sitting. But we are scared shitless or just lazy of actually doing anything. Oh, yeah. And this is where I'm spending the bulk of my time exploring myself and the work I've done and the 30 years of studying every sort of ancient tool you can think of how do I inspire people to take action? Because everything we need is already there. There's another thing missing. We don't need another book. We could stop right now, throw it all down and just work what we've got. And we've got enough to, to get everyone where they need to be. But if they don't take action, it's all just spiritual tourism. It's all just another book sale. What's happened is an industry that was designed to self-help and develop us 
has become a part of the machine that we're all sort of witching and mining about. That's exactly the same thing like I've noticed too. Because when I was, oh God, when I first started like having my own money and whatever, and you know, buying my own books for myself rather than going to the library, I suddenly realized, oh, I'm an adult. I need to help myself. I need to do self-help. And I've read one self-help book. Do this, write this in here and do that and and sit and think. I was like, okay, cool. You know, that was nice. On to the next one. Write this, do... I was like, where the fuck are the books that these books were based on or where these ideas came from where they tell you to do something? So I went back and I went back and I went back and I went further back. Ended up reading all these old books, you know, Dale Carnegie's and all those type of books. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, not a good book. Don't bother reading it. Waste of time. But I read all these books and they're basically like... This is how you manage your money. If you make, you know, $10, yes, spend $4, save $3, invest $3. That's the way forward. Yes, it's going to suck. Okay, you're not going to be living the best way. But you keep doing that for a, for a long or an extended period of time, you'll become rich. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Here's how to deal with, you know, your self-doubt. First of all, nobody fucking cares. Second of all, you should fucking care about yourself. How do you care about yourself? Talk to yourself nicely. Do you know what I mean? Be a positive person. And you just got it spot on. And this is the beautiful thing is it, the reality is everything is also we're addicted to complication. The yeah. ego loves lots of stuff. So what could be one page of incredibly simple tools is now a book of 96 pages. Exactly. Everything's see, bloated. What, yeah, yeah. We, 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 because we're addicted to this idea that I read all of this. Like how clever is the ego? The ego wants to puff its chest out and say, look at me. Whereas when you go through an ego death, and I think this has happened, this happened to me when, when I was a little kid to start with, but I think continuously through my life, is you have these moments where you actually look, it doesn't matter. If I can find three sentences and I give them to everyone and I don't get a cent for them, mm. then that's what I've been put on this planet to do. Mm. If in the in the scheme of this, the universe, God, source, or whatever you want to call it, decides that I can make a business out of this. That's a beautiful repercussion, and I hope it happens because it would be a nice thing. Mm. But I'm going to be continue to be driven by the service side of it, and it's taken me a long time to understand that balance. Um, and again, when you talk like this, people think you're anti-capitalism. You no know, bullshit, man. If I had the money, I was sitting on it. I'd go and buy your car tomorrow. Yeah, I'm all for abundance, more for manifestation. But as long as it was part of my overall goal to be a community leader and set an example for the people that I live around, then I have no problem with that. Yeah. But I'm not going to, like you've just said, disconnect from that community. I'm not going to do anything that's actually going to put me in a position where I'm actually not that example anymore. And mm. I think this is where we're completely lost sight of. I want that selfless. I don't want to be selfish. I want, hell yes, I want. I want what's right for my kids. I want to travel. I want all those things. But I'm not going to override my sense of integrity to get it. Yeah. And going kind of from what you said about integrity, how do because obviously we're both two men here speaking, so we can't speak for women, unfortunately. But if you're a woman, you know, come on and we can talk about this. But as a man, how do you view integrity? What is the best way to be a man of high integrity? Oh, the first one, I've got to ask this. This is becoming really important. Honesty. Mm. Yeah, but here's the trick, right? You know, when we bring up the word honesty, the first thing most of us remember is that when we're little, we get told don't tell lies and we can explain what a lie is and we get this whole definition of the truth and what's not the truth. No one ever stops to tell us that honesty starts within. So if you're not honest with yourself, mm. then you're going to struggle to be honest with the world around you. So the number one thing you need, because this strips denial and this starts to batter the ego down to a place where you can understand it and use it positively in your life, is to be honest. And that is to look at your day if you're able to or a situation and go, Jesus, I lied. Shit. Mm. I might have been a bit manipulative there. You know what? I made a mistake. I'm going to say sorry. See, you know, when you when you do just that very basic principle, then you're able to self-analyze and look at that honesty. Then think about how the rest of it. We could go into pages of what else it takes to be a man of integrity, but the reality is all of it will come back to step one: self-honesty. Yeah. When you can be honest within. You don't even always necessarily have to be honest without because you can go and undo and fix the mistakes you've made, which means energetically you are being honestly outward. So it doesn't mean you've got to run an audio going, oh, fucked up, sorry, 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 sorry. But you can energetically go back and go, I'm going to apologize there. I'm going to make up for this. You understand? So that's that for me is a stoicism. That is integrity. I've made errors. My God, have I made mistakes, man. I, you know, I possibly made mistakes. In not leaving the first time I was arrested in my kids not being, you know, I, I made the monumental errors, but I take each one of them and I own them. I live with them. I sit with them deeply and still do. 
and then I find a positive way to learn from them and then if I can, share it. Yeah. You know, not hide it. And we live in a world of hiding, numbing and hiding. Hide all this shit, don't admit to anything, and then numbing, take whatever we can outside ourselves, whether it be drugs, alcohol, gambling, porn, women, work, uh, you know, the list, phones, screens, numb it. So hide it, and then when it starts to creep its way out, numb the fuck out of it. Whatever you can find and take outside yourself to numb it, numb it. Yeah. So for you, you know, in this idea of not numbing yourself and embracing your 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 wrongdoings or even the things that you've done well, you know, either or, how do you kind of go through this process of, of first of all, self-healing and second of all, you know, self-acceptance? Man, it, look, that depends very much from person to person. For me, that would be a podcast in itself if I told you. For me, yeah. I knew from my 20s that there was, let's just say, I, I would have called it a screw loose back then. I knew, you know, I was on a path of self-destruction. I'd looked at my childhood. I looked at the amount of fear and then, the, and then the fear I turned into anger. I knew I had to work. So from when I started a little bit of martial arts, I just went on the search and I started with the Eastern philosophies. Then I went into Hinduism. You know, I went through all of that and I just searched and searched and searched. Mm. Now, um, it's just a very personal journey. You've got to go in and understand a person, how they think. If I tell you about my journey, I'm looking for followers, whereas that's not what I'm actually about. Mm. I want to understand a person's journey mm. and speak to them through their eyes. You know what I mean? So this is why my story for me is great and it's great that I can get on talk like this, but I want to hear other people's stories because yeah. any way I'm going to teach them to heal that is going to be based on what they perceive the situations to have been. Someone could watch their dog die when they're four and it could be equivalent to the near-death experience I had at the hands of my mother. Yeah. Because it's trauma. It's literally All the way trauma. trauma. Exactly. 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 And everyone is different, yeah? Mm. And that's there's no judgment in that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. If that's what broke you, then that's what's important to you and that's what you go in and heal. Mm. You could work, you, you know, you can go in and you can use Martini's work, you can use Lipton's, you can use meditation, you can use breath work. But every single soul here is different and has a different journey. Some people do not want to sit and meditate and it's not for them. Mm. Some love breath work. Some people love journaling. Some use the Martini methods I use, like values-based testing or the process of knowledge and wisdom. Mm. Um, you've got dry letters where you can go back and you can write letters to all these situations in your life. There are so many little tools, but depending on your personal journey and what works for you, because what may work for you won't work for the next guy yeah. or the next woman. Yeah. yeah? So it, it, it's a case of exploration. That's what coaches are supposed to be. Yeah. That's what our job is supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. Not about being clever and standing above and saying, do this, do that. We're supposed to study everything mm. and we're supposed to go for you. This is what you need. We're not supposed to be one, one horse, ponies or one trick ponies we're supposed to have at our disposal 15 20 30 tools and when we don't have the tool we say you know what i can't work with you i'm going to find someone who can yeah there's a lot of coaches out at the moment business coaches mm. life coaches social media <laughs> Co there's a coach for everything if you want to do something you'll find someone who's going to coach you in it right oh, yeah, but all yeah. that happens is they spend all this time developing this course this course this course this course yeah, it's like yeah. okay for a second let's forget about your course right you have all this knowledge as a coach. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about as in general as being a coach. You have all this knowledge. Now look at the person. How do you apply that knowledge to this person? Not how do you apply that knowledge to a 10-part video series that you're going to put behind a paywall for $1,000? Yes, yeah. money will be transferred. That money is you know, based on your value to that person and their value for themselves because it's a, it's a two-way exchange, isn't it? Yeah. And I've spoken to one other coach and he was more of like a business coach more so than a life coach. So he will help you to have, you know, if you're working in a, a shitty job, hey, what do you like? Oh, you like this? Cool. Let's build that. You know, let's do this. I'll give you all the step-by-step-by-step -step -step process to how, of how to do it. Whether or not you do it, that's up to you. But if you're not going to do it, and I feel like you're not going to do it, I won't take your money. I'll give you money back because that's not what I'm here for type thing. And yeah. I feel like as a life coach... Most people get quite a bad rap of, oh, what do you mean you're helping people improve their lives? You know, my life's fine. Da, 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 da. It's like, yeah, your life is fine, but other people need help. And that's what yeah. I'm here for. And people and people want to get better. And I think like we've got to a point where parenting has become a big one. I think people are looking at them themselves and they're becoming very realistic about their children and going, I don't want to pass this shit on. Mm. I think that for a lot of this newer generations this is a big motivator is they're looking at their kids they're seeing the way the world is and they're like you know what i don't really want to pass over this shit that my dad gave me and his dad gave him 
you know, or as a mother, doesn't want to pass down her mother's junk as well. Um, coaches are supposed to hold people accountable. We're supposed to work off results. But mm. what's happened within this industry is it's not regulated. And basically anyone can go and do a two-day course and get a certificate. And they develop beautiful programs and lovely marketing and They've got lovely front ends and websites and all this sort of bullshit. The mm. problem is, is there's no accountability. And at the end of your 12 weeks, you were just an invoice. Mm. So yes, look, you know, coaching, in my opinion, is getting a bum rap and probably deserves it because it's just become another part of the machine. Mm. But then there are people out there like me, uh, without sounding blowing my trumpet, whose genuine desire is to take my life experience and my journey and help people be better versions of themselves, whatever that is for them, better parent, better partner, better sister, better brother, better mother, better businessman, you know, better staff member. What is it for them? I don't run around dictating to people what the results will be. They come to me with what they need and then I take them along the route depending on the tools that I've got that can help them get there. I don't want little versions of me. I'm not in this to, to develop followers. I'm not in this to be an Instagram influencer. I'm in this to help enrich and for me, if I can, help kids because the better parents that we have out there, the better the next generation yeah. doesn't have to deal with coaches, doesn't have to go on prescription medications for anxiety and depression, doesn't have to deal with the fear-mongering and the bullshit of what's going on at the moment around us. I'd love to see a generation free from having coaches, counsellors, psychiatrists. What, what's happening is that we're addicted to these people. Yeah, yeah. It's a we've got into this big time, and and it's feeding the victim. So the very mechanism designed to remove the victim mentality from society is actually perpetuating mm. the victim mentality to sustain itself as an industry. Just like they, they probably won't ever cure cancer because we've looked at the billions of dollars wiped from the GDP across the developed world because it would destroy it as an industry. Mm. Well, I, I'm a crusader, and and I'll speak out of turn, and I'll take people to task. And I will bring this to light because I, I don't think that um, I was put here to follow the leader. You know, I was put here to be the leader. You know, if that ruffles some feathers and pisses a few people off, or so be it. Where can the people find you online? Social media or, you know, website, all of that stuff. Yeah, I don't do websites. I will one day, but at the moment, the usual Facebook, Instagram, my business is Catalyst Coaching Australia. Um, or you can look me up, Aaron Young, on Facebook as well, on my personal account. I've got a YouTube channel. It's Aaron Young Catalyst. There's not a lot on there. My best work is done like this. I, I, you know, I create content and I do a bit of talking online, but I like to talk to people because I believe everyone's unique and individual in their journey. And I want to find out what's real for people. I don't want to tell them about my life too much. I want to find out how my life can impact and better theirs, inspire them in some way. Links to all the things Aaron has mentioned are in the show notes. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 